HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program was brought to you by Union Beer Distributors. For more information, visit unionbeerdist.com. My name is Hannah Forden. I'm the membership coordinator at Heritage Radio Network, but even before I joined the team, I loved listening to HRN during my subway commute. It made the time go quickly and left me feeling inspired for the day ahead. HRN listeners tune in from all over the world, but there are a few traits that we all have in common, no matter where we listen from. A curious palate, the fierceness to make a difference, and a hunger for lifelong learning about the culinary world. As you know, Heritage Radio Network is a listener-supported nonprofit. To deliver the most ambitious, entertaining, and of-the-moment stories in 2018, we need your help. We need to raise $150,000 by December 31st to accomplish these goals and to keep your favorite shows on the air. Together, we can make this HRN's most exciting, impactful, and delicious year yet. No matter how much you choose to give, you'll feel awesome next time you tune in, knowing that we wouldn't be here without you. Become a member by donating today. Join us at heritageradionetwork.org donate, and you'll immediately start enjoying benefits such as VIP invitations to HRN events, where you will mix and mingle with your favorite hosts. Plus, we have great member swag. Show off your HRN pride with a t-shirt or keep your hands safe in the kitchen with an HRN potholder. Memberships also make a perfect holiday gift for all the foodies in your life. This year, why not give the gift of food radio? You'll hear your generosity in action for the year to come. Help keep our lights on and our mics hot by pledging your support today at heritageradionetwork.org donate. Thanks for listening. Welcome to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. I'm Jimmy Carboni from Jimmy's Number 43 in the Good Beer Seal. It's Tuesday, November 14th, 2017, and we've got a special group of guests today. First of all, Jeff Cialetti, one of our favorite authors of Beer and Spirits and the World of Drinking. How are you, Jeff? Welcome to the show. I'm good. Thanks for having me on again. you got a new book out, uh, Drinkable Globe. That's right. We've been previewing it, talking about things like schnapps and the Black Forest region of Germany. So, Yeah, no, um... It's an amazing place, 14,000 different uh, schnapps, uh, schnapps distillers, all farm distillers, um, just in one small region, so it's it's pretty cool. Well, it's great to have you back, and I, l- I love reading your stuff. And, well, thank uh, you. And uh, it's, it's actually a real special show is uh, Justin Phillips and his whole uh, beer table crew. Justin, thanks for bringing There's like eight people in the room with us. <laughs> Hi, Jimmy. How are you, man? So... Um, the, the basis of the, it's a good show because we have Drinkable Globe, you know, talking about different styles of drinks around the world and Beer Table. Uh, some, some of your crew, uh, you, you write a really nice uh, newsletter that I like to read. And this show was inspired by um, a, a, a little article about barrel aged beers. And, uh, you know, so we're going to we're going to dive into that. One thing that, that is interesting to me 
I think Jeff is going to agree with me, is that when most people think of barrel-aged beers, they think of like these giant behemoths, 10%, things that you don't really want to drink, especially if you're looking for a session beer. And we're going to talk a little more about the nuances of things like what the barrels do and yeasts. And, you know, it's common for beer, cider, and wine and brings out the best in a lot of a lot of beverages. So, Justin, we might as well introduce everyone. You're you're Justin Phillips. <laughs> Hello. Beer table from around <laughs> the world. And all your crew just introduce themselves and say your names. And Hi, I'm Megan Saxelby. And, like, what do you guys do at beer table? Uh, a little of everything, I guess. <laughs> People. General, general manager. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, Amy Stonionis, chef and therapist. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, my name is Corey Gargiulo. I'm a certified Cicerone. Gavin Murphy. I'm the operations manager at uh, the Beer Table Stories. I'm Stephen Bragan, and uh, I work at Beer Table and have uh, an interest in professionally tasting beer. No 11. I'm assistant to the regional manager. <laughs> <laughs> Michael Gallagher. I'm also the other assistant at Assistant to the regional manager. So this is kind of like when it's my birthday and they just all showed up. Does, does, this, mean, does this mean somebody's going to rob you now because there's nobody left mine in any of your stores? Everybody's here. <laughs> and then thank you again to our sponsor, Union Union Beer Distributors, Supply World Class Ales and Lagers. Check us out. We're at heritageradionetwork.org. There's a membership drive going on, so uh, check all that stuff out. So Barrelage Beers, you guys brought a lot of different beers. Uh, Michael, you know... Do you guys all, Stephen, do you guys all write the newsletter? Who, who writes the newsletter for Beer Table? Um, it's uh, definitely a collaborative project. Um, Megan kind of sources and asks if anybody has any interesting topics that they want to talk about or write about that they think would be of interest to our readers and our customers. Um, and uh, I uh, volunteered. I read a pretty interesting article at Hopefully, we'll talk a little bit about that later. Great. So, barrel age. And, Jeff, for you, you know, you, you're covering so many things in Drinkable Globe. Yeah. Um, you know, we, your earlier book, uh, Year of Drinking Adventurously, Adventurously yeah. I liked your article about <clears throat> scotch versus Irish whiskey. What are a couple of things in, in this book that are, that are, you know, we should talk about? Well, I mean, uh, one of the things really is um, just in general kind of local brewing and distilling traditions that the world really needs to preserve. Because right now, I mean, craft beer, for instance, has become a global phenomenon. Um, and just about every country uh, with, like, a major city, they've got um, a craft beer scene now. But it's mostly based on what's going on here, the styles. Even countries like Belgium and, you know, the U.K. and Germany that have their own traditions, they're starting to adopt some of the American traditions, like American IPAs, like everybody's making American IPAs now. And um, part of what I say in my book, it related to, you know, spirits a lot, but also beer, is that, like, yeah, you can get a lot of these familiar styles, but you, you really need uh, you really need to experience the local thing before it sort of disappears. So you're getting some little movements in these areas where they're trying to kind of preserve their local heritage. And um, I, I want to see more than that. I'd, I'd like to see more beer and uh, general beverage travelers not just going to these other countries to experience the styles that they know, but to try to experience the, the type of thing you're really only going to find there. And you had Lou Bryson give a little forward. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Great. Lou's Fine. great, and I really appreciate that he did that. And his, so. I, he summed it up. He said, why would you travel to Chile? And only want to drink a Stone IPA. Um, that kind of sums it up. So yeah. that, that's why uh, there's a whole point to this is Drinkable Globe. We're going to talk about kind of Belgium and the barrel aging of beers. And uh, Justin, you know, let's let's talk a little bit about some of the beers that, that you guys brought. I know your background was you worked with the importer Be United. You know, what is it about barrel aging and, and yeast that bring out, you know, this special quality of Belgian beers that's different than what they're making in California, you know, for IPAs, for example? Well, there are a lot of different ways that it can be used, and um, I think that we've learned through tasting and, you know, my experience, um, which is not so much on the scientific end of things, uh, it's really just as a taster and appreciator of beer, um, that it can be used a lot of different ways. And I think that's why we're here today, is to talk about, like, <clears throat> uh, how <clears throat> uh, maturing and, and aging beer in wood is, it doesn't have to be used for effect of, like, adding flavor necessary, necessarily, but it can also be used in uh, a, a lot of different other ways, and Stephen's going to elaborate on that. 
Yeah, absolutely. I can go ahead and just dive in right now. Um, so a couple of weeks ago, I read a pretty interesting uh, scientific article um, about uh, written by some researchers over in uh, the University of Washington uh, in Seattle. And basically what they did was um, pop over to a local brewery. I believe it was Epic Ales, which is, I think that there's another Epic Ales uh, down in, in Utah. This is not the same one. And I think that this project is unfortunately now defunct. Um, but they took a sample of their old warehouse kind of lambic style uh, ale, and they took just a sample of that actively fermenting. Um, so it's sort of a long-term fermentation where you have um, just a wild fermentation of beer uh, growing and aging in um, uh, different barrel types. Uh, I'm not entirely sure which ones these were. Uh, but they took a small sample of that, and they actually looked to see what types of microbes are actually in there, what types of yeasts, what type of bacteria. Um, and they use some pretty sophisticated uh, genome sequencing techniques. You know, there's this large mixture of different bacteria and yeast in there, and sometimes that can be really difficult to actually figure out for reasons that I won't go into. Um, but they interestingly found an entirely novel uh, yeast strain, uh, a, a species of a Pischia yeast, which is kind of vaguely related to some other ones that are used. Um, and you they, guys are not in their heads. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, so there's a little bit of microbial interplay when you're yeah, barrel aging. Absolutely. And that was really what uh, interested me. I, I'm very passionate about kind of thinking about what exactly the role of these microbes uh, are in different types of So when, you know, uh, when we get beer. like a, a good Cabernet that goes into a barrel, you know, we have some, I've had really tart ciders that have been put in, in a barrel and a year later they're really more balanced. Uh, do you want to talk about bigger picture of, of barrel aging and what's the point, Megan? Yeah, I mean, so, and this is something that, you know, as we were talking about before we went on uh, in our last email that we were really trying to drive home is that, you know, Yes, one of the points of aging in a barrel that, you know, you can get to is by adding the flavors of whatever was in there to that beer. Uh, but beyond that, you know, there's a couple other things going on. So, like, your example with uh, the wine, you know, the wood is actively working with that beer. There's tannins that are going into the liquid, uh, which can affect the, the uh, beer, you know, X, Y, Z ways. Um, and beyond that, there's also the interplay of oxygen and how that's going to... Um, continually develop that beer, whether it be in a positive way or a negative way. Um, and I think that that's kind of where you get into this mad scientist zone of why barrel-aged beer will continue to be such a fun and, you know, exciting facet of beer drinking is that there's that really, you know, big unknown area of what the final product is going to be. It's a risk for the brewer, but then the reward can be so great. You can get these really layered, complex, uh, you know, beers that don't necessarily just have to be these big, boozy, yeah. heavy, desserty things. And then, uh, Gavin, you, you poured us, what, what was the first beer that you poured us? Because we're going to taste through a lot of different beers that have had some barrel aging, right? Oh, this is a fun one from um, Brattleberry, uh, Brattleberry Vermont. Uh, it's from Hermit Thrush. This is the Four Stars. Uh, structurally identical to like a, a wet hop, like a harvest IPA. Um, but all of their beers are uh, naturally soured uh, via barrel aging. Um, and they... Um, Unusually for those styles, they uh, can all of their beers. Just say the name of the brewery one more time. Uh, Hermit Thrush. And it's something that you guys have at Beer Table? Oh, uh, yeah. We've got uh, the Four Star at our Grand Central location and uh, Potweet, another pale ale from them at our World Trade location. And how many different beers do you have at, like, Grand Central Station? Uh, roughly Street? 110 different beers uh, and then six more on draft. Wow, this is pretty great. Jeff, um, you know, going around the world, you know, what are some other drinks that are, are aged in wood or, or put into barrels that, that you've written about? Well, I mean, um, you know, obviously uh, you get things like Armagnac, which is, is a type of um, French brandy. It's it's different from Cognac. You know, it's obviously from the Armagnac region, but Cognac's from the Cognac region. But there are other nuances, different types of wood that are used. You get different kinds of flavor notes and that sort of thing. And... Um, you're also seeing, you know, obviously things like sherry and port, um, those get aged in barrels. And um, and now you're starting to see uh, a little more experimentation, too, with traditionally white spirits um, are getting thrown in the barrels. Like, for instance, gin isn't typically aged, but you're starting to see more barrel aging of gin. And you're also seeing that um, come over into 
the beer world where you've got brewers who are you know basically taking these barrels that had gin in them and remember gin's a spirit that wasn't traditionally aged but now it is aged and it's imparting those those botanicals and, and everything else to the wood and then once that ages a little bit gets a little bit of wood flavor a little bit of color then uh they'll put beer in that and then you'll get some of those gin characteristics in beer you're starting to see that more you're also starting to see even here in the united states um uh you're seeing people starting to people are moving beyond uh, aging beer in um in bourbon and and scotch barrels and moving into different kinds of spirits you're getting more people aging and, and cognac barrels, and you're getting people aging in brandy barrels because brandy's having sort of this kind of worldwide renaissance as well. So it's it's inter- interesting to see that um, uh, the interest in whiskey kind of uh, opened the floodgates for this interest in all sorts of brown wood-aged spirits, and you're going to definitely see a lot more and a lot more beers being aged in these sort of non-traditional barrels. Stevens, everyone here, you guys are good. The beer table crew, everyone's nodding their heads. So. <laughs> Steven, you're not on the most. So. Oh, really? Yeah. Just not. And then, Gavin, why don't you give us one more beer while we... Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I was kind of just uh, thinking about how this sort of uh, uh, different barrel, uh, different types of, of, of liquors and spirits can really uh, impact and, and uh, adjust to different types. I was thinking off the top of my head, I think the... Uh, Gigantic Brewing uh, over in Oregon had a gin barrel aged IPA, uh, which was the first thing that came to mind when I was hearing yeah. hearing Jeff talk about that. And then, uh, other than the the, the bigger, you, you know, you're talking about these whiskeys and things, but mm-hmm. but still, like going back to basics. Let's go back to Belgium and you know, kind of like using wood to to, to bring out what different yeasts in, in a beer. Um, anybody want to go with that? Like things we're talking about, or beer, and some of the other beers that we might be tasting today. Um, well, I, th- I think it's kind of interesting. Like, why do I need it in wood? Why why can I just have a um, Yeah, that's a really good question. That's one thing that I think I haven't really thought too much about. There's a lot of different media that, that um, a lot of different microbes could live off of. Wood is going to have a lot of different sort of nooks and crannies and weird surface areas that, gonna, that are going to sort of generate these sort of little micro ecosystems, basically. I like to think of uh, these sort of complex barrel-aged sours and wild ales as sort of like literally an ecosystem that you're effectively So you just drinking. read one article, or are you kind of a scientist too? Yeah, I have a background Steven in microbiology. Stephen is our scientist. He's our official scientist. <laughs> so yeah, tell us staff. all the jobs here, man, because you're like the GM. I can tell you're the brains. Uh, well, for, for a very long time, I fashioned myself as, as our scientist. I've got a background in food science. Um, so I had kind of a rough understanding for what was going on. Uh, and within, you know, a few weeks of Stephen joining us, I realized that I was going to be uh, very quickly dethroned uh, as, as the, <laughs> the resident scientist. And what about Amy? Because I can see that she's probably going to talk about some of the flavors. And Oh, I will. Come on in, Amy. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm more in... Oh, sorry. I have to get a little closer. Um, I'm definitely into this from a flavor perspective. Um, my background is food, cheese. Um, cheese is as complex as beer. You know, I can't get as nerdy sciencey as this gentleman can, but you know, I, I can try to. For talking microbes and aging. So, what are you tasting right now? This this next beer is pretty interesting. This next one is a uh, Wild Creatures. Um, they're one of the newer breweries that we've gotten. Um, I believe they are part of the Be United portfolio. Um, I don't know which one exactly it is. Michael? Um, from my memory of what uh, the Be United guys said, is um, it is... This is the meditation. It's a, it's a husband-wife team from the Czech Republic, and the wife's family comes from a wine background. Exactly. So I think they age everything and blend everything in terms of um, as you would wine, same ideas, same uh, concepts, and everything. Um, but you don't necessarily have to put it in like lees from the the, the the wine had been in, do you? I mean, it's a little complicated. You know the, what what happens when you put beer in a barrel? It is. I mean, I think that you know, kind of trying to get back to what you were originally kind of pointing us towards. Um, you know, why have we ended up in this idea of aging in wood, and that's like our fascination? And you know, why aren't we aging in you know, metal or some other... Clay M4. Yeah, exactly. Um, But, you know, to... Lined with lime. Exactly. Um, I think that ultimately it was, you know, first probably came about just because that was 
the easiest way to store these liquids. Um, and, you know, by probably a little bit of luck and a little bit of science, it turned out that, you know, this environment was really hospitable to whatever you were putting in there, be it wine, be it spirit, be it beer. Um, you know, it really had like a positive effect on the beer or on the wine or on the spirit. Um, and I so, like this beer a lot. It, 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 it makes mm-hmm. sense, right? It's not too big. No. It, it seems mm-hmm. like it's got more flavor, more interesting. Well, I think that the for these guys, they're aging a minimum of 18 months for everything that they're doing. So mm-hmm. this is a, you know, a long-term project. Um, they were working on these for a minimum of two years before they ever hit the shelves. Um, and, you know, that's something that you see, I think, a lot more with these breweries coming out of Belgium, especially the traditional breweries, and now some of these, you know, new guard coming out of this that region, not necessarily Belgium, but that region, um, is that they're okay with having stuff just sit there for a little bit. Awesome. Hey, they're off to a great start here. We'll be back in a few minutes on Beer Sessions Radio. All right. In 1996, Sheehan Family Companies, formerly L. Knife & Son, acquired Union Beer Distributors, which was originally located on Union Avenue in Brooklyn. Union Beer has since expanded to its present location alongside the English Kills Canal in Williamsburg, Brooklyn. It has grown dramatically in the last decade as the primary distributor of Anheuser-Busch products for Brooklyn and parts of Queens through the hiring and development of the best people in the industry. In 2003, Union Beer acquired a powerful catalog of specialty brands, which immediately positioned them as the craft beer supplier to accounts in Manhattan, Brooklyn, Queens, the Bronx, Staten Island, and Long Island. Union perpetually tweaks their portfolio to maintain the highest level of stylistic breadth with the most coveted brands available. Through the highest possible level of service, outstanding salesmanship of the ultimate lineup of brands, and a paramount focus on education at all levels, Union Beer has solidified its position as the only source for the best selection of beers in the seven counties of southeastern New York. For more information, visit unionbeerdist.com. Hey, welcome back to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. Uh, we're here with the Beer Table Kids, Jeff Cialetti, Drinkable Globe, Gavin. You got a little statement here. I was just saying, uh, the wild creatures we just had, um, the meditation, is their um, interpretation of a goose, a very traditional uh, Belgian style. Uh, But the fun thing is it's a husband and wife team. Uh, The husband is a a lager producer. The wife comes from a wine background. Uh, But they're from near Prague in the Czech Republic. So I thought it was kind of a fun segue into Jeff's uh, experience with uh, people reinterpreting uh, beer styles internationally. Great, great one, Gavin. Yeah, no, I mean, I think um, the, the interesting thing about it is um, there's, I mean, everywhere across Europe, um, you know, Belgian beers, uh, for a little while, those became sort of the entry point for uh, the budding craft brewing scenes in, in different countries, particularly Italy. I mean, Italy, when Italy started, um, you know, getting into the craft thing, they were really sort of focusing on those Belgian styles. And now, um, in, like you're saying, in the Czech Republic, um, you know, they're obviously known for their own beer styles. And, you know, and I've, I've spoken to some people that are involved in, in sort of Czech craft brewing, and they've, they've said that um, a lot of people, uh, they're, they're afraid, sort of like how um, American craft brewers were a decade, two decades ago. They were afraid to sort of make a Pilsner because it's just so associated as sort of the national mass-produced style and uh and i think so like someone like the czech republic is a little bit behind where the u.s is and now where craft brewers have sort of embraced uh the pilsner style uh i think the czech republic eventually will sort of get back in touch with their czechness and and start (laughs) instead of focusing on ipas and and american pale ales and things like that which they're doing largely now and also some belgium styles i definitely think that um eventually uh the pendulum ends up swinging back and people are going to start uh, embracing what you know put them on the map, and I and I've seen that happen in other beverage categories as well. Uh, in in Poland, for instance, uh, there's sort of like this weird kind of hipster vodka uh, renaissance where you know after fall of the Iron Curtain, 
all these other beverage types started coming to the country, you know, uh, cognac and whiskey and whatever. So everyone started turning away from vodka and going towards that. But then probably a decade or so ago, uh, people started embracing their Polishness again and drinking vodka. All these little shop bars started popping up. They even, like, decorate the place with, like, Soviet-era kitchen, that kind of thing. So, I mean, I think that, um, you know, this, I've totally gone off on a tangent here, I know. But, uh, <laughs> but that's, your, that's your thing. It's drinkableglobe.com as well. So you... You can travel the world with you. Yeah, but to bring it back to barrel aging, I will say this. I, I, I would like to see uh, more people start to embrace new types of wood because, you know, when you think of barrel aging, you think of oak. But if you go to Japan, when you think of barrel aging, it's cedar. And now there are some people who are also experimenting a little bit here uh, using juniper wood and things like that. So I really... That's great. So let's just take one step back. So just if you don't realize it, listeners, there's like 10 people in the room and <laughs> nine of them work for Beer Table. So Beer Table to me is, who wants to tell me what Beer Table is? Because I'm always impressed with the talent and the products. That's you your job, have. Jimmy. Oh, yeah. You have, you have to tell us. <laughs> I like Beer Table. They have quite a crew and they are expanding in New York City, but they're still boutique and they're bringing me all these crazy beers I never tried. So uh, we haven't talked to Corey yet. So Corey, just quick intro. Tell us like what's your job at? Beer no, table. Well, I don't. I don't currently work for Beer Table. <laughs> <laughs> Just hanging out for the beers. Came for the free beer. Uh, no, um, I actually met Justin probably about seven years ago, right? Yeah. At yeah. Beer Table Park Slope, um, and it was my first introduction into beer being discussed on a very different level, on a you know, on the service aspect especially. Um, I think one of the downfalls of beer and craft beer has been the fact that um, it hasn't been considered at the same elevation in the service world as something like wine or even spirits. We've seen the cocktail revolution in New York City, especially over the last 10 years or so, and now beer is just starting to get that ball rolling really solidly. Um, so it's been really exciting to see somebody like Justin. Motherfuckers. And, <laughs> right? um, There's a lot of people I, in this room. It's very I, quiet. Uh, worked with Justin and Megan. It's at, not like the Taurus guys. Right? We're, we're very polite. We just want to all listen to Corey speak. No. Um, so I worked at Grand Central Beer Table with Justin probably within the first year that they, they opened. And having that experience and being able to talk to customers um, on a very different level about what beer is um, from, what, from what they're used to on a daily basis. And back then, the carts were still around. So it was a difference between going and getting your what, 24 ounce of Coors Light right in front of the train or like being able to have a conversation. Oh, so they're at, you're at Grand Central, they're actually with carts by the, the right train. Right by areas. the trains for Metro North. Goodbye. That you could buy like a, you know, a soda, giant, beer. giant can yeah. of beer. Um, and obviously there's not much conversation about what's in that can as opposed to going to a place like Beer Table where. Um, the beer lends itself to opening that conversation up, and then you have a really great group of people who are super enthusiastic about that and sharing that knowledge with people. What's it? On, since we're talking about Grand Central, the typical customer, you know, they're getting on a train to go to like Metro North up to Connecticut or Westchester. How many beers do they usually buy? Depends on the day. <laughs> oh yeah. Depends on the day. Depends on the day and the train. Is that yeah. a trade secret? No, I'm supposed to know that. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I would six. Say, on average, most of our customers get two beers. Yeah. Yeah. One one to drink on the train and one to take home, right? Mm. No. <laughs> <laughs> That's well, open to we'll interpretation. That. <laughs> All right, who wants to introduce this next beer? You guys are really blowing my mind. There's some really good stuff here. We did a lot of off things. We've been tasting whiskeys and ciders the last few weeks. It's nice to be back to beer. So this this next is what a goose? What is it? This next beer. This is, is who is this guy? This is Noah from Beer Table. Another guy who just walked in. Yeah. <laughs> There's hey like guys. more employees than <laughs> Starbucks. <laughs> yeah. Assistant. Assistant to the regional manager. Uh, this is from Mickle and Boone Goose. Um, it's a collaboration they did. I believe Mickle himself went to Boone, chose out three barrels that he wanted to blend into his own kind of cuvee. He selected one, two, and three-year-old um, lambic aged in Calvados barrels and blend them together. It's a beautiful beer. Well, just say what the beer is one more time. It's the Mikkeler Oud Goose done in collaboration with Boone. Wow, that's great. Who wants to talk about that? This style. I mean, it, it's it's brilliant. I love it. Uh, what is it that makes this different than the other beers I'm usually drinking? I mean, in terms of complexity, I feel like 
this goose and lambic kind of in general, probably, you know, like pushing the boundaries of how complex something can really get. Um, it is an old, old, old style um, that has, for the most part, stayed really true to its roots. Um, it's all wild fermentation. There's lots of barrel aging, um, you know, not necessarily for flavor, although in this case it's, you know, Calvados barrels, which I'm sure have lent something. Um, but it's just a matter of time and bacteria and yeast, um, which is really cool. You're really letting just the basics speak, which is really fun um, and can lend some really unique And this uh, is a real a traditional flavor. style. Incredibly This goes back, what, hundreds of years, right? Yeah. It's I mean, like... really before they even knew that yeast was doing something, you know. We're talking super pre-science. So there, there, there was a time when people figured out <laughs> yeast, right? Who was the scientist that first realized there were microbes and stuff? That would have been Louis Pasteur, yeah. who we can thank for pasteurization. But I'm going to plug Pete Brown's book, Miracle Brew. you got to read it. Cause <laughs> I was just reading about yeast, and, and so I kind of know about it a little bit now. And then, Jeff, for you, um, did you get to talk about gooses and lambics and... Uh, I mean, I did uh, actually. I did. A, I did a bit more in my my first book, The Air Drinking Adventurously. I, I you know, I, I talk about it briefly in in this book, but I, I went a little more into it in there. As it was one of the weeks, it was Goose and Lambic was was one of the fifty two weeks. And then how how are the barrels used used in something like this? It's just it's kind of like a conditioning. Um, there's nothing else added to it, right? When you when you put a lambic into into a barrel, it just sits there. And you, hangs you're not intentionally anyway. I think. And then you get some wild yeast. Yeah, you're relying on the ambient stuff to kind yeah. of do its thing and, you know. Be Oxygen. Microbial interplay. Microbial interplay. <laughs> and then uh, next, Gavin, keep go- keep us going. I'm, I'm relying on Gavin because I knew he used to work at Union Beer and went way back to some tastings at Jimmy's number 43. Uh, you guys, uh, what about some backgrounds here? Justin, you've been beer table forever. I've always admired you because you've always kept the qu- highest you quality beer of beer. And um, I know Gavin worked at Union Beer. Does anyone else want to give us their, their beer background, or are they, they're just born and bred at Beer Table? Just come on, jump in, everybody. Noah, the assistant regional They're manager. all born and bred. Yeah. <laughs> at Beer Table. Uh, yeah. There's an actual birthing table at, at Beer Table. <laughs> the Beer Table. Yeah, what did you do before, Noah? Um, I was, I worked in finance a long time ago. I was in school studying applied statistics and started working at beer table part time and, uh, just kind of got That's stuck it. here. Anybody else want to? Always there. Got a more interesting got stuck background. Here. <laughs> <laughs> Amy, yeah. are you a chef by training? Yeah. Um, so originally I grew up in middle of nowhere, Pennsylvania. My dad makes moonshine, um, Applejack <laughs> and some homemade wines. So I'll pretty much knock you under the table. Um, but and then, I say, what kind of food? I'm gonna jump in. What kind yeah. of food would you be making to to, to you know sh- share with these great? It depends on the, beers. It depends on the beer. Yeah. You know, uh, as I taste, like then I can think more about pairings. Um, you know, but the goal with the beer. Yeah, I I, I, I know. Yeah, and you I mean, the beer in, is really drinking? the star. So um, the food is to complement the beer, really. So not knowing about the uh, the barrel age theme of the day, I brought uh, the, the outlier. Um, this is Saison Rustique from Brasserie Dunham. Uh, they're just outside of Montreal. Um, and I learned about this brewery just by pure happenstance while on vacation in, uh, in Montreal. Uh, a very enthusiastic um, uh, bottle shop owner uh, pointed us in their direction, and, uh, and I've been a big fan ever since. So this is a, a Brett-fermented, dry-hopped Saison. This is my kind of show. Everyone, these are beers I've never heard of and never tasted. I love it, Justin. You're doing a great job. I mean, what what is it like? Thank you. What is it? And Megan too. You know, I like the business of beer. What is it like putting together a team like this? I mean, very fun. Yeah. Very fun. We have a lot of different people who all bring a lot of uh, unique but incredibly necessary strengths. Um, is that like nice enough? Am I being nice? Yeah, um, <laughs> All right. We're going to take another short break. <laughs> we'll be back and save your words for the show. We'll be back in a few minutes on Beer Sessions Radio. All right.
Like what you hear? Heritage Radio Network has plenty more. With fresh programming every week, we've got something for everyone. Trying to start your own food business? Concerned about where your food comes from? Looking for the best wine or beer to bring to a party? Find our shows on iTunes or Stitcher, or head to heritageradionetwork.org to listen live and subscribe to our newsletter. Hey, welcome back to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio. It's a lively group here, guys. Most of the crew from the beer table operation. And Jeff Cialetti, Drinkable Globe. You guys are talking off mic. I'm the interloper. But we're tasting off. So, Jeff, did you think you'd taste all these different beers in, in one show? Yeah, you know, and actually my, my glass sort of got up and walked away. So I, I think some No, no, I'm just... I, I, think, I think I've gotten a reputation, and so I was cut off early. That's sort of <laughs> so this is what... Uh, who, who brought the beers today? Uh, this one was me, uh, Gavin, uh, just a favorite brewery of mine. So you guys just pulled beers off the shelves at beer table? More or less this time. Yeah. So you got Grand Central, you're down at the... Whatever it's called, Westfield. Oculus. And, yeah, in the Oculus. Said that? Cock on the mic, man. We're in the <laughs> Oculus. <laughs> Oculus at the what, World Trade Center. And you guys, you might have another place, too, or we can talk about that yet. Yeah, it's a little bit top secret, but kind of not, so we're working on it. So beer, just check out Beer Table. Right? Check Keep us out in going. December, and we'll give you new news. We'll have to have you guys back. Yeah. Yes, please. All right. <laughs> Jeff, Drinkable Globe. But uh, let's just drink more beers. This is fun. Yeah. And, uh, I know with Michael here, I saw him standing outside. I, have, I had a feeling coming in today there'd be a lot of stragglers. So this guy out front, and I was like, this guy must work for Beer Table. I was actually trying to finish my roadie. Um, <laughs> I kind of saw you in the subway, and I saw you with the beer hat. And I was like, well, I should finish this before I go into a restaurant. Uh, but yeah, I was drinking the, uh, the Leader from Industrial Arts, which is a great beer. And it's perfect subway beer, especially if you have a beer table pint, which are available in Westfield Mall and Grand Central Station. <laughs> so how do you take a beer on the subway? Uh, very carefully. See, the law is um, if you get caught drinking on the subway, they can only write you a ticket if you're holding the container that says the amount of alcohol that's in it. So you basically just need a cup. So as long as you're quick to pour it into a cup and throw it away. We are not lawyers. Um, this is this is not something I recommend doing or legally... Beer table does not recommend doing this but in any when, shape. <laughs> but at Metro North train, so the the great trains that go out of Grand Central, you can you drink an open container? Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. So you can drink uh, on the train, on the platform, and in the bottom of uh, Grand Central Terminal. No, are you going to correct them? No, I just wanted to say, not only can you, but it's encouraged. <laughs> <laughs> and not separate cars. You can just drink in any cars. Any car. On any car, uh, as a as a daily Metro North commuter to Connecticut. Um, yeah, it's a, it's almost a must. Wow, that's kind of amazing, <laughs> Jeff. Do you get, does that happen anywhere else in the world in your drinkable globe? You can Fun. drink on the trains, drinking. Well, I mean, you, places are not entirely. Uh, they don't really police a lot. Depends on where you are. I mean, um, they got bigger fish to fry. Transit police have bigger fish to fry. And also, if you've been anywhere else. In the world, on mass transit, whether it's on a tram or on a subway, most of the time, uh, getting a ticket is on the honor system. Like people aren't even really checking your ticket. It's like if you get caught without one and it's not validated, you know, you're going to get a major, major fine. But you could pretty much go an entire week in like a European city and not buy a train ticket and not get caught. So I, I, I would imagine that um, there's a lot of other stuff people are getting away with. And also a lot of other places a lot more permissive. Like there's some places that don't even really consider beer to be alcohol. So it's, you know, I think, um, again, bigger fish to fry with, with actual crime and stuff like that. And like why are you going to yeah. police like if someone drinking uh, And do you, guys, do you guys sell any like of those weird drinking devices? Like they have that weird camelback for water that you suck <laughs> on? Like a baby's no. bottle. No, we don't. No. So like, it's you. like you have the marijuana paraphernalia. You don't have the like transit drinking <laughs> paraphernalia. I mean, I think one of the reasons why every, virtually every one of the tablers here had an answer to the question is it's one of the most common questions we have. And I think that's reflective of the sort of global attitude towards drinking. And it is quite different in, in New York. Um, and so we definitely have to look out for people. You can't you have a cocktail shaker on the train. <laughs> I like my beer. Gavin, what's the... I'm just keep asking Gavin because he's opening the beers. We, we've got the Ore beer. That was one... I read your great newsletter today, and it talked about the Ore beer as uh, representing this, this, you know, 
balanced approach to barrel aging. Who wants to talk about or beer and let's taste it? Because from Dodola, that's another one. That, that's a Justin question for Justin sure. Beers. I could just moan a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> I love Dodola. Dodola, our friends would be united. So let's pop that and let's all taste it. But yeah, let's taste. Let's taste now. <laughs> So their approach to barrel aging and why why no, we built I mean, the whole my, show my around experience, this beer. My experience is based on a couple of visits to go to to see the doll and to see Chris and um, early on <clears throat> when I worked for Be United and uh, I didn't really know anything about it before I showed up there. I did I had no preconceived idea of what Dodol was or how Chris was handling what he was doing and um, I learned to love it after the fact. Um, this is a beer that I saw him putting a tiny batch of in a 200 liter barrel, and that was it for the year. And uh, since experiencing it then and there, I have hoarded it. And, <laughs> and every year, these guys make fun of me for like trying to buy all of it and trying to have all of it. <laughs> Give me more. Thank you. There's like the hush hush reverence for this beer. It has more of the, the Belgian, like kind of typical Belgian yeast flavor. I don't know. Jeff, you want to talk about. What you know? Microbes. If I said a t- yeah, typical Belgian flavor. Yeah, Thank I you. mean it's it's. The, uh, I've always been really sort of bad with with tasting notes. I've I probably used the term yeasty and wild a lot more than anything else without getting too specific. Um, but um, you know, it, you know, lactobacillus is not a yeast, but that's a lot of times what gives sour beers their sourness. This one has like a wine kind of wine barrel kind of sourness. Almost that kind Steven. of cheesiness that we were kind of talking about, in, in a positive way, as, as, as most yeah. positive as possible. I mean, if you want to go lactobacillus, I'm here. Oh, yeah. here. Let's, <laughs> let's go there. Please. I'm talking above my pay grade there. <laughs> well, to go back to what we were, you know, like the whole theme of this thing, that I think this beer perfectly exemplifies the multiple ways that, like, a, you know, barrel aging can affect a beer. You've got, like, the interplay of the previous spirit this has held wine before the barrel that aged this beer you know you've got the uh, exposure to oxygen so you've got almost that like cherry or sherry kind of like nuttiness uh from the oxidation uh and then you've also got a little bit of some sour notes going on and a lot of that is going to be from the you know exposure to various microbes be they bacteria or yeast um that are changing the flavor of an already great beer into something drastically more complex Tastes like that too. Yeah, <laughs> but really, I, I could taste that there there had been wine in that Definitely. barrel. Um, anyone else? Or beer, Dodola. There's a kind of magic to Dodola. There's like some kind of export stout. There's a couple other beers that I've had from them. Justin, I brought you a treat. Did you? <laughs> a big bottle. I don't get that much beer. I'm not like Justin Kennedy. He gets all the beer shipped to him. I got to figure out how to get beer shipped to me. But I'm I'm happy to have you bring it to the show. Um, keep going, guys. I'm, you know, Noah, you, you're drinking beer over there, and yeah. you're like the assistant regional manager. Uh, yeah, yeah. Assistant to the regional manager, and I'm drinking the Orbeer Reserva. Um, I think a fun thing about Dodol in general and the Orbeer, originally Dodol was getting yeast from Rodenbach. I think when Rodenbach went corporate, they stopped shipping out yeast to breweries in Belgium. So now they're pitching their own yeast. Um, so slightly different product than the original, presumably. I never had the original. Always evolving. Yeah, always different, which is what's fun about yeast and barrel aging. Always different, always new, maybe unexpected. Michael? <laughs> uh, yeah, we always have a special uh, place in our hearts, I think, for this beer. Um, I have never been inside Justin's house, but I believe he has every vintage ever made in the back corner behind the the dresser somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully it never burns down. <laughs> I would like to try all that of them. That sounds like a threat. <laughs> <laughs> you guys are crazy. <laughs> so I should come visit you guys more often. Um, I love this beer, the Dola. It's wonderful. It's magic, and I'm glad we got to try some other things. Are there any of the beers that you guys brought that we should uh, check yes. out? It's hard to like finish it, but let's, let's pop them. Let's go through it, and... Let's at least say what they are so we can... Jeff, did you bring any beers for us? I did, but they're not barrel-aged. I brought... Um, uh, they're, they're actually from Iceland. They're um, from from Einstock, which is uh, probably, I guess, the biggest of the new crop of craft brewers there. <laughs> craft brewing is really, really new in, in Iceland, but Einstock's the best known of those. And this is uh, a winter ale from them. So, uh, oh, finish with that. That's good. So, yeah, it kind of brings the whole globe thing, I guess. I don't know. Whatever. 
And then, uh, Megan, for you, like, um, you know, I know your whole family, kind of. It seems <laughs> it's a very small room here. We, with some of you guys are work for Union Beer. Some of you guys, my friends at Saks, will be cheese. There's some relationships. Justin Beer Table. Um, you know, how do you see the industry going? And and you know, wh- what is it about Beer Table that's so special? Because you guys always always go above and beyond. Um, I mean, I like to think that what makes us special is you know, and this is something that Corey touched on earlier, is the the human aspect of it. We all love beer a lot and we want to talk to you about how much we love beer um it's it's you know it on paper is yes a transaction um but we also want to like talk to you about you know the intricacies of what's making this beer so cool and so neat um and it's not a sales tactic it's just because we genuinely care that much about what we're selling so i think that's what makes us really special yeah now who wants to recap the beers we had the first couple because I can't remember. <laughs> and <laughs> go for it, Noah. Yeah, I, mean, I, I don't know. Oh, Gavin. <laughs> hermit Thrush. Oh, good Lord. We, yeah, we started with the Hermit Thrush. Uh, uh, the Hermit Thrush Four Stars, the Wild Creatures Meditation, the Boone and McKellar Udgoos, uh, aged in Calvados barrels. Um, and then we had the Orbeer Reserva. Oh, also the uh, Brasserie Dunham Saison Rustique. And that's great. Who's doing most of the buying for you guys? Mr. Gallagher. This guy? And Mr. Murphy. <laughs> Both of those guys. Yeah. Uh, yes, Mr. Murphy and I buy the beer. So you think 110 selections, that's a lot, but it's not really, is it? Um, I mean, do you have to really, it's like Sophie's Choice, you have to pick yeah. one or the other. <laughs> uh, well, I don't know if I put it quite like that. Um, <laughs> well, nice. Uh, thank you, Mr. Jimmy. Um, but uh, it's, it's basically like, ooh, I see eight. I watch movies. <laughs> I see eight dark sours, and I want them all, but then you have to, you know, not everybody else loves dark sours because they don't have the letters DDH on them. Uh, <laughs> so you can only you can only buy one at a time. Um, so you have to do a mix between of what you love, a little bit of what you can sell, and then also what you want to educate uh, your consumers on because you know a lot of beer is delicious, and a lot of people won't try the beer unless you tell them no, this is the beer you need to try, uh, especially in um, train station in Grand Central. The guys there have been, you know, working nine to five. They don't want to make another decision sometimes, and they have 30 seconds to their train. So sometimes you just got to grab them and tell them, hey, this is the beer you want to drink. Buy it, get on your train, enjoy it. And if you don't like it, tomorrow I'll buy you a different beer. And they like that. Yeah, just a second, Mike said it's, you know, a lot of balancing, you know, personal preference to be able to speak personally about, you know, what's on the shelves, but also knowing what your customers uh, ultimately want at the end of a long, tough, you know, stressful day. So, you know, you do have to have, you know, beers that I don't want to have day in and day out, you know, like Mike alluded to, the double dry hop, double IPAs, that's a, that's a once in a while treat for me, but for somebody that's stressing out constantly, yeah, an 8% can of double IPA every day, I, I kind of get it, but I'd love something, you know, a store that's entirely Brett C. fermented Saison's. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, but the, the Poe Tweed and the, 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 the Hermit Thrush stuff I think is really great because, and it, it sort of demonstrates the sort of, we often have things that are sort of adjacent to what a customer may be more comfortable with, like those sort of more hoppy, wet hop, dry hop. Uh, IPAs, and then we can kind of steer them towards a, well, this has some of those qualities, but it also is a sour or barrel-aged in the case of Hermit Thrush. Um, and I think that, that really helps a lot of people kind of expand what their kind of palate is and what they'd consider to drink. I'll tell you, you guys are, this is an awesome crew. Justin and Megan, you guys got to bring bring back your crew and uh, keep this conversation going. I'm just getting to know you guys, listeners, just getting to know you. Uh, Jeff, is there a question you have for these guys about you know, new breweries or cool stuff that they're they're finding before yeah, we close I mean, out. I mean, I guess um, as far not any particular brewery, but uh, if you like, approximately, what's your sort of local to non-local ratio of what you carry? Um, generally, the local guys, since it's so expensive to produce in New York, a lot of them are doing cans on premise and kegs to accounts so local stuff we do mostly in kegs on draft and our pint jars and growlers to go 
Um, but we, we have good relationships with those local guys, so we try... We, we kind of try to be like, hey, it'd be great if we could get some of your cans. They mm-hmm. sound really cool. Um, and, and we can get some of the... Um, I mean, in a train station, you can kind of run through anything local, whatever they have left in a day. So it's... Because um, people are excited about it. People love it. People want it. And guy that lives in Connecticut and works on 40th can't always get down to other half. Mm. Wife and kids, so we can't come in on the weekend. So, you know, if we can get single cut cans in, if we can get interbrow cans in, that saves him a trip and allows him to drink something local, fun, and what they so want to do. you got to mix it up. And who, Does anyone have a question for Jeff about Drinkable Globe? One last question. I've got a question. This is Noah, assistant to the regional manager. Um, <laughs> Jeff, did you try any Calvados while you were doing your writing your book? Oh yeah, I have had some Calvados. I mean, I didn't have any. I didn't actually drink it in um, in France. I've had it from at trade shows here with uh, importers of French spirits and that sort of thing. But um, but yes, I enjoy it very much, and I, I like. I'm, I'm getting into more uh, things made from fruit. I mean, I didn't used to really care much for. I mean, I guess technically Calvados would be considered Eau de Vie because it's um, it's made from fruit. Uh, but um, I'm starting to, you know, especially with my recent trip to, um, to the Black Forest and stuff like that, I'm really starting to get into fruit-based spirits. I'm almost moving a little bit away from the grain-based stuff and into the fruit-based stuff. Cool. And, you know, I think Applejack here, too, is actually starting to make a comeback. So, uh, you know, you got... Um, Copper and Kings in, in Louisville. Sorry. Can help you, out. <laughs> <laughs> you got it. A little it. off the back of the Guys, this is a wild crew. I just want to give a big shout out. Events coming up. Uh, this group, Hop Culture, has got a Juicy Brew NYC event on Sunday, December 3rd in Brooklyn. Check it out, hopculture.com. And for those of you interested in what's going on with my place, Jimmy's Number 43, keep checking the website, jimmysnumber43.com. And the Instagram at Jimmy's N O four three. So let's go around the room. Everybody say their name, and we're going to sign off. Thanks Justin for joining Phillips. me. Megan Saxelby. On the Heritage. Amy Stayos. Radio. Jeff Cialetti, buy my book. Network. <laughs> Drinkable Globe. Corey Gargiulo. Gavin Murphy. Stephen Bragan. Noah Levin. Michael Gallagher. All right. I'm Jimmy Carboni. Thanks to our producer, Justin Kennedy. Justin, great job tonight. David Tadashur, our engineer. And we'll catch you next time on Beer Sessions Radio. All right. Woo-woo. Hey, hey, hey. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.